If you take care of your people, they'll take care of you. Treat people well, pay them what they deserve. Make sure that you're the type of company that people deserve to work for and you get it back tenfold. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Melissa Harrington, CFO of Premier Claims, a public adjustment firm that advocates on behalf of the customer, something I'm really excited to talk to her about. She's a servant leader who sees beyond the numbers and instead sees the impact people make on a business. Aside from her husband and two children, nothing makes her prouder than watching her team's individual growth under her leadership. Melissa believes in showing up as the best version of yourself every single day. Learning and growing is a necessity in both her personal and professional life. And her belief in pushing yourself to be 1% better has become an unofficial motto of the entire team at Premier Claims. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. Well, I'm super excited to talk about Premier Claims, um, you as a CFO, but I want to start because what you do at advocating for on behalf of the customer is super interesting. So tell me about this problem that you're solving for people. Yes. Like you said, we advocate on behalf of the policyholders. So we work property insurance claims. Um, So you experience a loss at your property, most likely as a result of a weather-related event, and you file an insurance claim, and then Jake from State Farm jumps out and hops up on your roof and adjusts the claim from there. But Mm -hmm. we will actually advocate on behalf of the policyholder, so the property owner, you, and we go toe-to-toe, head-to-head with State Farm, Nationwide, Allstate, the big names, the deep pockets, the funny commercials, um, all of those things. And then we make sure... That, we, that your claim is adjusted appropriately. I like to say that we follow the insurance company's rule book. Uh, they wrote the policy that they collect premiums on. And so we just make sure that they are upholding all aspects of that policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so at its core, in the simplest form, we work really hard and negotiate to get additional funds released for that mm-hmm. policyholder. So how does the policyholder find out about you? How do they know they need you? You know, what is it about insurance companies that, that have required companies like you? Yeah. So I would say how they find out about us is the task of my marketing department for sure. That's the hill for them to climb. Most Mm -hmm. people don't realize that public adjusting is even a thing or an option to them. Um, so that, that I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a tough uh, mountain to kind of scale some days, but um, at, at the end of the day, it's super easy to hire us. We have an entire staff, including attorneys, who will review your policy because there is awesome. nobody better than an attorney to read all of the fine print 
of a yep. policy. Um, and then we have claim experts all across the country. So they will join you at your property and get up on that roof along with the carrier adjuster um, and scope it, estimate it. And then we have expert negotiators here back home that would do mm-hmm. it. And so we mm-hmm. uh, work on a contingency fee basis. So we only win if you win. Uh, we take a percentage of whatever it is that we get released according to that contract. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. before we sign anything, we do a full review of your policy of if they have paid anything, what the estimate of damages is. We actually turn around about, we turn away about 50% of the claims that come to us. Either you don't have the right coverage or you were paid out appropriately, mm-hmm. um, or maybe this isn't even damaged. Uh, We have no problem doing a free inspection or anything else. So we review it and then we engage in a contract and we kind of take it from there uh, and handle everything. If you've ever handled an insurance claim, you know, it is time consuming, a bit of a nightmare, and it feels like they're talking in a different language. Uh, All the acronyms and things that I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm still learning on a day-to-day basis. Now, as far as why we could even get to a place where somebody needs to hire us, I don't think insurance companies are bad. I do think that they're for-profit companies, as are we. They make no mistake Mm -hmm. that we're here to make money as well. Uh, But they're for-profit companies. And like any company, they're trying to control their bottom line. And the way that you control your bottom line is you control your expenses and their largest expense is their claim payments to the insureds. That's right. And then I also think they're brilliant, brilliant marketers, and they've done such a good job with their catchphrases, nationwide, we're on your Mm -hmm. side, all state, Mm -hmm. you're in good hands, all of that, that uh, the average consumer, I believe, has forgotten that this insurance process was designed to be a negotiation. So they offered low, expecting that you're going to ask high and we're mm-hmm. going to work our way to the middle. And instead, it's, you know, all state, you're in good hands. We're in good hands. I have my guy. I've used my guy forever. And I called him and they're going to take care of me. I've paid my premiums on time and they offer low when people accept it. There's a lot of it, I think. Um, I also think insurance companies, like any company, do not have endless amounts of funds. And no matter what your opinion is of what's going on in the world or the weather or anything else, there's no Uh denying that storms are more frequent, more intense um, day over day over day. So I do not envy insurance companies trying to control what has to be just bleeding cash flow. Just absolutely spilling out cash flow and they do what they have to do. And then we're just here to make sure um, Mm -hmm. that, again, we're playing by their rule book. They wrote the rules. We're following their premiums. So I think it's a couple of things that kind of combines into feeling like there is a need for the service that we provide. Mm hmm. Well, I would, I would absolutely agree with that. You know, not everyone is a great negotiator, right? Right. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've negotiated, I think two claims ago, you know, because of course I live in Colorado, right? So we, you know, we have hail and fires. Yep. Um, And, you know, we had a huge hailstorm that came through here in 2012. Yeah. And, you know, the first cat adjuster they sent out, um, you know, wanted to replace my, you know, beautiful wood windows with vinyl. <laughs> yeah. Thought, oh, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. But, you know, I've been negotiating for a living for many, many years. So yeah. I was capable of going in and negotiating that myself. But most people do not fall into that category, of course. Yeah. Right? And I think most people don't have the skills, uh, not only like the negotiation soft skills, but the knowledge and skills to know what you're talking Mm -hmm. about. And what Mm -hmm. I say is uh, car insurance, 
for someone like me who I equally don't know anything about cars, um, I've gotten into the car accidents in the past two and I had Mm -hmm. Kelly Blue Book. So while I don't know anything about my car, I'm that person that shows up to the auto dealership and is like, it's making this noise when it does this thing. Like I I have no knowledge (laughs) in this department, but got a car that was totaled and then our insurance company paid out X amount of dollars and I can mm-hmm. then go to a Kelly Blue Book or CarMax.com mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. else it may be. And right. I can see immediately you paid me $23,000 and I cannot purchase a, a I currently drive a 2016 right. Nissan Murano that's silver. That is this level of package. I can only purchase that for, let's say $32,000. There's a difference right. here. So yeah. when you get into property insurance claims, you don't buy roofs. You don't buy window wraps like you were talking about. And there is no Kelly Blue Book. You buy houses, you buy properties, Mm -hmm. and there's not Mm -hmm. this individual line items. I've never bought a roof in my life. So I have have nothing to compare it to. So Mm -hmm. if I have an insurance agent that I trust and I have used for a long time and I file a claim and they timely send somebody out and that person jumps up on my roof and comes down and says, everything looks good, okay, he must know what he's talking about. What do I know about roofs? I'm not even going to get on that ladder. Not a chance. Or comes off the roof and says, here's $20,000. I guess that must be how much my roof is worth. That it's a lot harder on that property side. You just have no... Right. Your average person just has nothing to compare it to. There's no tools to help you. Right. And of course, depending on where you are in the country, will depend on what that's going to cost right? Because labor is more expensive in some areas than others. Yeah. I mean, where you look 2021, where all of a sudden, all of those construction materials, they skyrocketed 78% mm-hmm. at one yeah, point ridiculous. that that changes. Yeah. So if we, if mm-hmm. you paid out a claim three weeks prior to that change, and then somebody comes to do your roof, suddenly it just costs almost twice as much more. And then where does that mm-hmm. leave? Right the consumer right but but i but i will say that you know not for nothing um yes the insurance companies are paying out exorbitant amounts of money i can't and, imagine. you know i always like to say they have more money than god figuratively <laughs> speaking um and you know let us not forget that our insurance rates go up every year so they're yep. covering their own asses yeah okay so you know I, I don't have any oh woe is me for the insurance carrier i really don't yeah um you know, but, but that's, you know, that's, you know, we're here to talk about you, not, not them really. Um, so, so, you know, you mentioned that you take a percentage. Is it that you are like any attorney might be doing, then you have to ask for more so that, you know, me as the customer that hires you still gets the amount of money to get my claim handled. And I'm not coughing out more than my deductible, or am I now going to be out money because I've had to hire you to get, you know, what the value of what I need. Yeah. So you're going to be out money, but I don't Mm -hmm. like that phrase whatsoever. Right. So when we're having this conversation, I always say you can have a hundred percent of nothing or if we're going to charge 10%, you can have 90% of something. Yeah. Well, I agree. Uh, Very rarely are people coming to us out of convenience. There are those people Mm -hmm. that are like, okay, I'll just let you handle my claim and then just eat the cost from there. Typically, I mean, we'll see on average, we increase an insurance claim 958%, the insurance claim payout. So that means on average, somebody is coming to us with uh, the insurance companies paid them $10,000. 
And then we're going to work the claim. And on average, I mean, 95800 additional dollars are going to be released. So when you start talking of 10%, yeah, you're going to be $10,000 short just in round numbers here, you're going to be $10,000 short that you have to come out of pocket. However, if you had $100,000 worth of damage, you only had $10,000. So you were going to, you know, um, so yes, I can't do anything to make sure that mm-hmm. um, our fee is absorbed in any yeah. way. Right. I think, uh, you know, there's other parties involved that I think do what they mm-hmm. can in the scope mm-hmm. of what they can mm-hmm. do. But that's mm-hmm. what we always say is 100%, you could have 100% of nothing yeah. or 90% of whatever we're able to get released. Got it. So the company was founded in May of 2017 by Kyle Maring. Yeah. Um, how how has the company grown? Has it been boot? Did he bootstrap? Did he look for any funding? You know, what's the background that he has? Yeah, Premier has been one hundred percent bootstrapped until very recently when we purchased our first mm-hmm. corporate headquarters. One hundred percent bootstrapped. We were a scrappy startup that's for sure, and did what we could with what we had. And we mm-hmm. are a contingency fee basis, so there's no right. consistent uh, money just... by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination. Yeah. And then it's been a really interesting kind of cash flow journey as we have scaled, because we've scaled very aggressively. Mm-hmm. Uh, since I've been with the company five years now, um, I started with them in a 1099, almost consulting kind of basis with them before coming on full-time into the role that I'm in now as CFO and VP of operations. Mm -hmm. Um, In the five years that I've been with them, which I started when we were very young and in our infancy stage, Mm -hmm. um, I believe I was the fourth or fifth person hired full-time onto the company. We Mm -hmm. currently have 70-ish full-time employees, Mm -hmm. 150 1099 contractors all over the United States. And in terms of revenue, we've grown even more aggressively than that. Our revenues increased between 100 and 200% year over year. So it has been fast and furious. I'm tired. I got a couple of gray hairs, but it has been the journey of a lifetime for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So, you know, your, your background is, you know, you got your degree in accounting Mm -hmm. in 2009. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you were already, um, you know, working as an intern uh, with a, with a firm and, you know, you spent some time, um, you know, in just sort of general controller and accounting roles prior to, um, you know, joining, uh, uh, joining Premier in 2018, mm-hmm. right? So I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm curious about your journey through those other firms. And, you know, as you already said, uh, and you had told me prior that you had started out as a 1099, you know, what was it about you, somebody who'd never been a CFO, that had Kyle say, you know, this, this, this woman is perfect to be our CFO. Oh, I would, I should ask him that question. Yeah. yeah. Bring him on in here and ask him that question. But in terms of kind of that journey, um, I took little pieces from everything. I have a super eclectic career journey, mm-hmm. certainly straight and narrow on the accounting and finance path, mm-hmm. but totally different industries, sectors, everything else. Um, in undergrad, I knew, I just knew in my heart I was going to go into public accounting and I was mm-hmm. going to wow everyone and become partner at one of the big fours. Like I, I would have bet my life on it and Mm -hmm. pretty immediately was like, this is not, 
this is not it for me. The cubicle life is not for me. I was in the audit sector. We did mostly nonprofit audits. And so what I did love about that was it was somewhere different. Every two weeks, I was walking into a different office with different systems, uh, different processes, different people, a whole different way of doing things. And you had to just kind of jump in. You had to just jump in, immerse yourself in it and figure it out while you were in there to even begin to do that ticking and tying. So job duties, it was there for me culture or nature of the job, it was not. Because every time you showed up and nobody wanted you to be there, you were the auditor. And I was like, you guys, like somebody, somebody who's got to be happy to see me. And it was just, uh, it was soul sucking to me for every day to go to work and people could not wait for me to get out of their hair. And I get it, but it just, it wasn't a good fit for me. And I just didn't feel fulfilled from Mm -hmm. it. Um, From there, I went into the nonprofit world where I quickly learned that your work can matter. And with an accounting career, I don't know how much I thought that was a real possibility when I was young. Um, Mm. And I worked for an amazing organization that I serve on their board of human rights to this day that serve adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And I mean, just fell in love with it, fell in love with the nonprofit world, with making a difference. Uh, You would leave work and do things far outside of the scope of Mm -hmm. a typical accounting role. And just, it filled my bucket every day. And I knew I would never work somewhere again where... I didn't get that fulfillment, felt like what I did mattered. And that meant so much to me. Um, I was recruited out to another position for a publicly traded company. So totally different where I sat next to the auditors and couldn't wait for them to get out of my hair every single day. And um, that was, I learned so much in that role and learned and grew. I stayed there quite a bit shorter than what I was expecting. Um, From there, I had a great CFO that I worked for. There were several steps between us, um, but I talk a lot about him. Nate um, was made such an indirect impact on my career. And I love that our paths recently crossed again. And I was able to kind of give him his flowers um, and tell him how much he meant to me and what he Mm -hmm. did for me there. Mm -hmm. Um, But Nate was just a guy. And he's brilliant. I mean, he's so good at what Mm -hmm. he does and he's doing amazing things where he's currently at the company he's currently at. But Mm. he was just a guy. He came into work and talked about his kids and asked about my kids. Um, And he was uh, goofy as all get out for sure. Loved a curse word as much as I do. And it was this first time I saw somebody that it wasn't this like stuffy, perfectly mm-hmm. put together in a pressed pantsuit corner office kind of person. And that was the first time that CFO kind of came back on my radar because I knew I would mm-hmm. never be that. If you yeah. weren't perfect, I'm not your girl. And so that was yeah. kind of that first time that that came back on my radar in that career. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of changed my sights, changed what my goal was for myself. Um, from there, I was recruited into a controller position, a very unique controller position um, for a food and beverage company that did uh, essentially concession stands for an arena ballpark and convention Mm -hmm. center and talk about the time of your life your office is backstage at a lady gaga concert or a march madness event uh you know casually strolling across elton john as a music and sports lover like it does Mm -hmm. not get better than that it hands down uh the coolest 
job ever to make that happen. And that is where I fell in love with operations, with data, with operations, with uh, Mm -hmm. that next day after an event, taking a look at it and saying, okay, both good and bad, we far exceeded our revenue goal for that event, or we fell so far short. And what happened and getting into that data analysis and simple things like sometimes you're prepared for a Taylor Swift concert and turns out Taylor Swift fans are now 26, 27, 28 year olds who have real jobs and disposable income. And you were prepared for, you know, 19 year olds and popcorn and whatever else. And so did we miss the mark or did we exceed the mark by uh, Mm. being prepared for that appropriately? And looking into that, and I really kind of fell in love with this data analysis. And I tell everyone if Taylor Swift would do concerts on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. I would work there until the end of time um, because it just really doesn't get much better than that. But unfortunately, those things are nights and weekends. And I had my second child while I was there, Mm -hmm. my daughter. And uh, after four and a half years of um, super late nights, super early mornings, that crazy schedule, it just didn't work Uh, for us and our family anymore. Um, And I actually had kind of a serendipitous uh, interaction with the CFO of the nonprofit I was at before at a Starbucks at a peak level tired after I believe it was the um, the Olympic swim trials. So Uh the Olympic swim trials were in Omaha, Nebraska, and I was working those. And so that was 20 days of 20 hour days. Um, Mm. So like peak level of tired and I'm at Starbucks and we bump into each other and he's like, would you ever come back? And I was like, "Mm." yes, can I get a nap first? And then I'm there, right? Mm -hmm. And so I actually went back to that nonprofit in an elevated role there where I oversaw Mm -hmm. six of the largest agencies and all of Mm -hmm. the cash flow and revenues and the government side of things, the government funding side of nonprofit Mm -hmm. and handled Mm -hmm. all of that. And it was while I was there that Kyle and I met and uh, he just has that it factor, whatever that it is, and nobody can put their uh, finger quite on, that's him, and he has it. Mm -hmm. And we met and had a conversation, and I was like, okay, stop. This is what needs to happen. This is what we need to do. Mm -hmm. And he was looking for somebody full-time, and I told him, no ego involved whatsoever, that in accounting and finance, like you're going to get what you pay for, Mm -hmm. and what you can afford right now is not what you need because you are dancing a really thin cash flow line with your scaling goals. And I can do what you need for my kitchen table on Saturdays while my baby naps. And that's how it started. And then Saturdays during nap time became Tuesdays after the kids go to bed, became Tuesdays and Thursdays. All of a sudden, <laughs> as we were growing and exploding, was like, okay, this can't it. be it. Right. And um, we had a conversation. Yeah. And I thought that conversation was going to be me saying my time was done. And mm-hmm. it evolved. And um, him and I, you know, we're kind of a yin and yang. I'm conservative and careful. And I like to dig my heels into the ground. I'm like, why are we going so fast? You guys are stressing me out. And he's like, just keep pace. Let's keep running. And I slow him down so that he's not his own worst enemy in some ways too. So we just work really well together and, um, always had great conversations and everything else that I think just evolved to me being here full time where we're at now. Well, and you know, of course, that's the benefit of a diverse team, right? Yeah. You know, if you hire everyone like yourself, you're not going to be successful. No. 
You know, you have to have other opinions. You have to have other viewpoints because what those other viewpoints do is they bring things often out of your blind spot. I didn't even know what I, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Yes. Um, Melissa in, in, you know, among C CFOs, um, CFOs in general are are afraid to say people over profit. Mm -hmm. You, on the other hand, do not subscribe to that. You are one who, um, you know, would, would, one would refer to as a disruptor, Mm -hmm. you know, or you're bucking the trend, right? That you see people over profit. How did you come to that? And that's one of the things I really wanted to spend time on because that's just not the typical CFO. And, you know, which is, which is one, you know, I've seen often that heads of talent report to CFOs and I've just said, this is just the worst place in the world. This and HR, worst yeah. place in the world for you to be reporting, right? Yeah. Um, because of how they look at that. So how did you come to this? Because this, I know this is a big deal for you. It is. It's something I'm really passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, the My overall view is that you, as a business, you have to prioritize people over profit. Correct. Now you have to meet payroll right? Mm-hmm. Like they still expect to be paid every other Friday. So you, you right. have to do what you have to do for sure. But the people generate the profit. Mm-hmm. Um, so when some companies have this recruiting strategy of this revolving door, and I'll just hire some, as soon as somebody starts getting a couple of raises, mm-hmm. I'll just hire somebody cheaper. And we'll just keep doing mm-hmm. this revolving door. It's your indirect costs of yeah. turnover of losing that experience of that even just camaraderie when you come to work and you love the people you work with uh, you're just willing to go to a whole different length than if it's mm-hmm. just a job in your eyes um so it, it, at the end of the day the people make the profit if every single one of my team members walked out the door today there is no profit next week There is none to be found. Um, So I can't subscribe to the idea that your people are a cost center or they are without, as a service company, they are our biggest expense. That's right. Uh, They are our biggest asset though as well. And I've just always viewed it that way. I wish I could say that there was like this moment in time um, where something clicked for me or I had this light bulb moment, but I've Mm -hmm. just always viewed it that way. And I uh, do not envy people who are forced with layoffs. Um, Sometimes people have to make tough decisions, but I also see the companies that layoffs are part of their strategy uh, Mm -hmm. that they're like, we'll just scoop up, scoop up, scoop up. And then 18 months from now, we'll do a layoff. And I just can't wrap my mind around that. And I've had no shame in saying it. I'm very comfortable with, I'm not for everyone. My personality is not for everyone. My viewpoints aren't for everyone. And that's okay because I'm not here to please anyone. Well, you're right. And, and, you know, it's, it's what I used to say back in the day when I was still doing search work, you know, there's an ask for every seat. Yep. Right. And you don't, you know, everybody doesn't need to be a client. You don't need to work for everybody. Yep. You need to find the best fit for you based on how, how you are looking at the market and how things need to be done. I mean, your, your viewpoint of, you know, people being so important. And this is one of the reasons I was really excited about spending time with you on an interview was that, you know, my, you know, I've been preaching for years why it's important to be talent centric. And, you know, this is one reason what you're saying is what helps make a talent centric company. Yeah. Because without all those people, you can't get anywhere. Right. Like what's your game plan without your team? What are you going to do? I can tell you, I think I'm really good at what I do. Mm 
but I am not the one driving this business forward. I am not the one bringing cash in the door. I am not the one generating the profit at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Do I have an impact? I I sure hope so. Of course. Otherwise I shouldn't be in this seat, but this is not me. Those financials are not a result of my work. It's everybody out there who is uh, working their tails off for it. Mm -hmm. And then I also tell people, this is not some, you know, put on a hero cape or this like selfless idea either. It's very self-serving. If you take care of your people, they'll take care of you. Of course. You you know, Mm -hmm. treat people well, pay them what they deserve. um, Make sure that you're the type of company that people deserve to work for. And you get it back tenfold again and again and again. Example that I'll use super recently that's so unimportant, but we just moved into um, our brand new office uh, last Monday now. And we got in trouble with the city because we overflowed our dumpster way too much with all of the final, like just moving and people unpacking their boxes. And they came to take the dumpster and they're like, not a chance. It's stacked way too high. I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And they're like, get up there and take all the trash off. What else are you supposed to do? And I sent out, we're still, I mean, a pretty close, relatively small-ish team. And I sent out a quick email. Hey guys, I have a favor. We need to go dumpster diving. It's (laughs) Omaha, Nebraska. It's a winter. And to add insult to injury, it was raining. And within eight seconds of that email being out, I looked out my window and there was people out there handling it. Unbelievable. That is so far outside of their job scope or anything else. And so that is something that is so small, but it's Mm -hmm. such an example. If they're willing to go jump up onto a dumpster in the winter in rain, what else are they going to be willing to do for you? Mm -hmm. If you've taken care of them and a customer is upset, they're going to handle it. They're going to take care of your Mm -hmm. customer and your customer is your profit at the end of the day as well. And so to me, it just like all goes hand in hand. You take care of your people and your people take care of your company every day on personal levels, professional levels. Um, I know without a doubt that they have my back, that there Mm -hmm. isn't an ask I could make that maybe they might be like for real, uh, but they're going to, you know, they're going to jump on board and they're going to do it and they're going to do it with great attitudes. And especially in the business that we're in, we are not a Monday through Friday, eight to five company. Mm -hmm. We were property insurance claims and those claims similar to the events don't conveniently happen on Monday through Friday from eight to five. (laughs) So like we are still knee deep in hurricane Ian recovery. And Mm -hmm. I have my team quite literally drove straight into the eye of a hurricane. Mm -hmm. The moment we knew that hurricane was going to make landfall, that wash your laundry, kiss your family goodbye. And they jumped in a truck and drove into a hurricane and then stayed without electricity, access to gas or water. In a hurricane situation, you drive in with what you need to sustain yourself. And then you don't clock out on Friday at five o'clock. So a bunch of my staff went there, but then all of our staff back here, um, if you're a customer service rep, and a client calls you who just lost everything 24 hours mm-hmm. ago and it's 4.50 on Friday, they don't get a clock out right. in 10 minutes That's and right. say, well, I'll get back to you on Monday because I have weekend yeah. plans. Right. So all of that to say, like, it's not all selfless and anything else. It's the fact that I respect the fact that especially who we are <laughs> as a company, we're not making small asks. 
Um, but I'm very transparent about what those asks are. And then I will make sure that it's worth it. I will make sure that you're appreciated. I will make sure that you're properly compensated. If you need something, I got you as long as it's within means. And then Mm -hmm. I want you to love to come to work. I know everybody doesn't subscribe to that, but we spend way too much time here to not feel good about what we're doing. Um, so I, I want it, I guess to sum that up, like I want to be the type of company, the type of leader that people mm-hmm. deserve. Got it. What's the competitive nature of your business, Melissa? Um, in terms of other companies, other companies it? doing what you're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're doing things a little bit different. There's tons of competition. There is tons of PAs out there. There's tons of public adjusting firms out there, but nobody's doing it quite like we are doing it. Um, and that was because we were willing to walk that cash flow tightrope and mm-hmm. uh, do it differently. So most PAs are a guy and it's a one man shop. Um, and he's the guy that has the ladder on his truck and jumps up on the roof and gets into mm-hmm. his truck and writes the exactimate and handles the phone calls with the carriers and processes the checks and everything mm-hmm. else. And we looked at it differently and decided let's segment this and let's let people be experts at what they are great at. Mm-hmm. And so we have our guys, um, our blue collar employees who love being out in the elements and they have their trucks and their ladders and they spend all day long on roofs and ladders and inside of hotels after they've experienced a total loss after a fire, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. scoping, documenting all of those things. I have people that are brilliant estimate writers Mm-hmm. And there's efficiencies to be found. If all you do is spend 40, 50 hours a week writing estimates, you know all the shortcuts, of right? Like, you know, you could probably write it blind at that point to know where to click through and change the price mm-hmm. here. And don't forget to do that thing there because mm-hmm. that's what you're doing. And they're really, really talented at it. And then we have trained negotiators. Um, our people that are on the phone, negotiating does not is not a natural skill for most people. Right. As we so talked about, right. we've handled that by training people and we've actually sent all of them through um, a training with an FBI negotiator, which A is fun. B is just, uh, it's a different skill set, right? You're all just about that controlling that phone call, controlling those emotions, uh, just really tactical, smart negotiations uh, to make sure that we advocate the best on behalf of our insureds. Like I mentioned earlier, we hired attorneys to read policies because they are way better at it than you and I are ever Mm -hmm. going to be. Um, And then hired people that are great customer service reps and everything else Mm -hmm. and just like took it and just segmented it out. And now we have this whole team. So we have every claim that comes through us touches between 40 and 45 people. And that's not something a lot of places can offer. So there's... um, there's a ton of PAs out there. They're all licensed. It's all public knowledge um, mm-hmm. on Department of Insurance websites of who is licensed and who is not. But uh, we are one of the biggest firms in the country, and we're certainly doing it different. It's been Wonderful. kind of fun at this point, a solid five years into the company, to watch some of our biggest competitors um see them watching us like a hawk and start to implement things that we've done. And in Mm -hmm. some ways kind of laugh um, amongst ourselves of like the, the mistakes and the lesson, 
the learning lessons <laughs> and the battle scars that we've earned over the last couple of years. Like, oh, I see them running straight into that brick wall. I've been there. I remember that moment. Um, so yeah, there's a ton of other people out there. Our biggest competition is people not knowing that public adjusting is an option, to be honest. Right. Um, right. That, that is our biggest mountain to climb. Your yeah. typical sale is here's why my widget is better than their widget, or here's why I can provide a better service than they can. And our sale is here's why you should use a public adjuster. And this right. is why Premier Claim should be your public adjuster of choice. Right. So, so, and I, I'm glad you brought that back around because I was just getting ready to get back to that when you said that marketing is your biggest challenge, yeah. right? So, so what are you doing from a marketing standpoint to get, you know, to get what public adjusting is out there and to get people to know that not only they're public adjusters, but Premier is the one you should be going with? For sure. Um, we're trying to establish ourselves as an expert in yeah. insurance. Um, so trying to go about it somewhere different of not trying to push the public adjusting thing as much, but man, if you have a question about a claim, about a roof, about a weather event to kind of be that resource, SEO is a whole new world to me. And I am mm -hmm. just eyes wide open to it at this point of trying to get into it and discover it. Uh, but there's so much that can be done there. Our biggest marketing tool is word of mouth. Um, everybody knows somebody who owns something and none of us are protected from weather related events anywhere mm -hmm. across the country. Right. Uh, you know, we're in the heart of tornado alley and hailstorm central here in Omaha, but is somewhere else. I mean, you just said you guys are experiencing wildfires like crazy. Obviously, we are uh, deep in Florida right now, still, still dealing mm -hmm. with Hurricane Ian. We actually just wrapped up Hurricane Irma from 2017. So oh being God. involved in these communities mm -hmm. is a big part of it. Uh, we have a whole... Um, employee resource group that we call Premier Cares that we like mm -hmm. to get in after these events and just do something for the community. A mm -hmm. hailstorm is one thing. Like a hailstorm in Omaha, everybody's pretty excited about the opportunity to get a new roof. Um, <laughs> but it, that, that's a totally different emotional experience than somebody yes. who's lost everything in a fire. Yeah, of course. Whether that's of personal course. or their business mm -hmm. and their livelihood um, mm -hmm. or surviving a hurricane, whether you decided to evacuate or not. And then certainly living through a tornado is one of the most traumatic things I think that you could go through that we deal with there. So after a big event, we like to jump into that community and do what we mm. can. And so it's not a hard sale for us by any means, but really kind of immerse ourselves in that community. Like I said, a bunch of our team drove straight into the eye of the hurricane and mm. they spent, I mean, a solid first two weeks just in cleanup and recovery efforts um, mm. without ever once mm. having a conversation about whether or not it's time to send out a contract. And a ton of yeah. them we never sent contracts on because they were good and they were taken care of by their insurance carrier. But just mm -hmm. getting in there and doing what we have to do. Um, we actually rented an Airbnb from a lovely woman who I feel, I was joking with her, we just left that Airbnb and I was like, I feel like we're best friends now. I'm, I'm kind of going to miss you. Um, 
that she was willing to open her Airbnb without any power to our team. So at least they wouldn't be in a campsite. Um, right. They all, there's some pictures on my LinkedIn of them sleeping out on the pool chairs because it was so hot in Florida and humid inside of the house. Right. But it was, at least no a safe, you know, it was a safe place to lay down at night. Uh-huh. And yeah. we helped her with her claim of just like, thank you so much for letting us stay here. Of course, she was paid yes. for our stay. But yeah. um, her saying like, hey, my adjuster is going to be there on Tuesday at 9 a.m. Uh, just as a heads up, right? I don't want to invite somebody into the house when you're staying there. And I was like, no problem. Let us know if you want someone to stick behind and can kind mm-hmm. of just talk you and your husband through the process. And she's like, that'd be right. great. And we did what we had to do and she didn't need to fully engage us. And sometimes yeah. it's that. Um, so word of mouth is super powerful. Yeah. Then we build relationships with roofing contractors is a lot of it and kind of let them strategically do the door knocking for us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, They don't get paid. The insured doesn't get their property repaired uh, if they've Mm -hmm. signed a contract and there are no insurance funds to get the work done. So Mm -hmm. kind of becomes a mutual client and we let them refer things to us as well. Um, So we kind of look at it instead of informing people of what public adjusting is, trying to engage people and um, of course, put some goodness out in the world always, but uh, just become the expert in insurance. So if you had the ultimate dream would be if you have any question relating to insurance mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that you would call us. Right. Uh, Melissa, looking back over your time at Premier over the last five years uh, as a CFO and uh, head of operations, VP of operations, what would you say are some of the mistakes that you've made along the way and what you've done to kind of discover them and fix them? Yeah. Um, earlier on in my time with Premier, I think I did a terrible job at when I was interviewing people trying to sell them on the job and sell them on the company. People mm. tell me now that have interviewed with me recently that they're like, I feel like you just tried to talk me out of the job. And I was like, I did. <laughs> because I just want to make sure that we are like 100% yes, on that same right. page. Yeah, because it smart. depends if there's ebbs and flows in what our work day looks like, what our work week looks like. And I quickly realized that I only wanted people here who were down for that. Mm. Um, And that was on me at the end of the day, right? Like that was on me and some of that interview process of not really being clear of what the ask was eventually going to be. So now I'm super transparent in the ask of like, this Mm -hmm. is what my uh, commission eligible employees, like this is what it really Mm -hmm. looks like. I could sell you on day all day on how much money I think you can make and excite people. And that's great. Mm -hmm. But like, here's what it really looks like. Is that going to work for you? Are we Mm going to be four weeks in and you're going to be like, this doesn't, I have another mortgage payment. It's Christmas. Like what's going on here? Um, So I would say one of the biggest mistakes and learning lessons I had pretty early on was um, spending too much time trying to get people excited about the company, which I think is your typical um, kind of interview process. And instead being like, here's my pros and cons list transparent to a fault. Here's why I think you should work for me. Here's why I think it's, uh, we got cons. Every company has cons. Every job has cons. So here they are. Is that going to work for you? 
That's right. You know, that's a great strategy. And, and I'm a, I'm a big believer. I, I write about this and, you know, when I'm on interviews, I talk about these things. It's so important to talk about, you know, if you talk about everything that's great about yourself and, and that's great, you know, you need to, you do need to sell people on your vision yeah. and your strategy yeah. and why, you know, why they want to work here. But it's equally important to say, and here's the things, you know, if this doesn't work for you, that's okay. Then that's it's okay. just not a fit, right? Um, and that makes for better interviewing. It makes for better fits. You know, that's a really, really, in my opinion, super effective strategy. This is what I, you know, I teach people mm-hmm. um, and why it's important and how to communicate that effectively. Yeah. So that, you know, so that you're not coming across as really, you don't want to come work for us. Right. <laughs> right. Right. You know, we'd love to have you and here's why, but yeah. okay. And, yeah. and you know, that is just so, 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 so important. So that's clearly part of your talent strategy, mm-hmm. right? Um, can you, is there anything else about your talent strategy that, you know, you haven't really talked about? Like, how do you go about finding people when you're ready to hire full-time people? Let's forget about the 1099s yeah. for now. Yeah. Uh, I feel like in 2022, you, you'll find them anywhere. Um, so I think everybody's a recruiter and mm-hmm. people that are recruited by, um, that are referred by people who currently work here, mm-hmm. statistically stay longer or more engaged or happier. Um, so we do have a strong uh, recruiter bonus for our current staff here of whatever that is. If you have somebody that you can refer and think they'd be a good fit, then Mm -hmm. I want to talk to them. It's no guarantee, Mm -hmm. but of course I want to talk to them. We have a full-time recruiter who does recruit Mm -hmm. for us, reach out to people, Mm -hmm. that traditional, you know, head hunter that is going to get, see who we can get out there, um, who is actively employed and, um, maybe wasn't considered leaving a position, Um, Mm -hmm. then, you know, we go about all the traditional routes of Indeed and LinkedIn and everything else. But then I think everybody, every opportunity is an opportunity to meet somebody who's great. Um, So when you are out to dinner with your husband, um, I've recruited a couple of waitresses here. Um, <laughs> nobody, especially this time of year, nobody wants mm-hmm. to be rescued more than a retail employee during the holidays. <laughs> right. And you think they can deal with customer complaints? Like yeah. they are, they're masters, absolute mm-hmm. masters at it. Um, and so mm-hmm. if you're being, if you're out there, um, having interactions with people, networking, your network is your net worth. I will say mm-hmm. that all day long of mm-hmm. just putting yourself out there. And then, uh, my personal LinkedIn has kind of become this indirect recruiting. I just put my thoughts out there. It kind of became my very public mm-hmm. diary. Um, yeah. and it, the good, the bad, my mistakes are posted on there sometimes of like, I really was not a great leader today and here's what I did. And more importantly, here's what I learned from it. And we'll do mm-hmm. more later that we have a lot of people uh, that reach out to me directly and are like, are you guys hiring? I'm like, let's yep. see if we can yep. find it. I will say the yep. biggest thing that as we scale, it gets a little bit harder, but something that I hope we can hold on to forever is mm-hmm. um, we hire right person. Um, I'll hire a winner all day long and then I will find the right seat for you. 
Um, we actually have somebody who's been working here for two weeks now that still doesn't have a title. I texted her last night and was like, Hey, did we ever decide on that? <laughs> I feel like eventually you want to go home right. to your kitchen table and say, here's what my title is. But I mm-hmm. knew she was a winner and I immediately saw the value that she could bring to us. She actually came in and was trying to pitch us on the service that she was selling. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm, we're going to stop here and let's have a different conversation. And we kind of flipped it into an interview at that time. And she's here full time now mm-hmm. um, that I, I want to hire, I want to hire winners. And if I find someone that I think will be a good fit in any way, just to have the conversation. Right. And it's just uh, the power of asking is very powerful of just have that ask. Um, That's right. Her LinkedIn did not say that she was open to work. She was not actively Mm -hmm. working, looking for an opportunity, but having that conversation and then saying, I don't have an open seat. Like I I don't have, I have a couple of positions I'm hiring for, but none of them are a great fit for you. So let's figure it out. And we had a couple, I think we ended up having three, I guess you could say interviews, conversations to kind Mm -hmm. of figure out where this could fit in. Um, and whether it was going to be a good fit for her and kind of what my vision is, let's figure out what these first 90 days are. And then if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's jump into it. And she just had a skill that I know that nobody here had. Um, mm-hmm. She's actively scaled other companies and what she's done. And as we are in scaling mode, experience is so important uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, go ahead, bring your battle scars. So we hopefully don't have to earn them ourselves. Um, right. So yeah, I'm a big believer in right person, right seat. But furthermore, one thing we've been able to do here is kind of delay what that right seat is. And we yes. brought in plenty of people that I'm like, damn, you are right person, but th- this is not it for you. Right. So let's right. explore it. Right place for you right now. Yeah, yeah. Like let's explore it together and see what else is because you're the exact mm-hmm. kind of person I want to work with. Yeah. That's fantastic. So how do you, so you, you have a number of 1099 employees who, who are those people? What are they doing for you? Yeah, they're, I call them my boots on the roof instead of boots on the ground. Okay. Yeah, they're my mm-hmm. uh, 1099 team all over the country mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. we're here in Omaha, Nebraska. Most of my staff is here in Omaha, Nebraska. So we're mm-hmm. centrally located. But if you experience a house fire tonight, God forbid, um, and you decide that you would like to use our services saying, okay, let me go check for a flight and it looks like I can get out there on Sunday, maybe Monday. Mm -hmm. that's too long the time is ticking or we could jump in the car i mean you're colorado so you're probably nine ten hours west of me but sometimes Mm -hmm. that's just not enough so Mm -hmm. we have somebody who is skilled at what they do uh within about two and a half three hours right every single location in the united states fantastic i love that um, and are they purely paid on on commission or, you know, are they getting a salary plus commission? I mean, 1099, they're getting paid to um, for when the work that event. they do. So certainly not mm-hmm. a salary, but yeah, there's compensation for their time to go out to a job. Got it. Um, okay. Yeah. So they're paid per job, essentially, Got to it. go out there mm-hmm. and do what they have to do. And then if that scope right. expands or they're going to be there mm-hmm. further um, have that conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
tell me a little bit about how you spend your time when you're not working. You know, you've got a husband and two kids, so I'm sure they're they're part of what you spend your time <laughs> doing when you're not working. A part or all, I suppose. No, <laughs> yeah, I mean, my kiddos are still little. I have an eight-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are my busy bees. We're entering the taxi phase of life it feels like where I get off work and I'm like okay you got to get to baseball you got to get to gymnastics somebody will eat somewhere in between here find some crumbs on the floor of my car I suppose um so yeah a lot of that my husband's an athletic trainer um Mm -hmm. so he's the guy when somebody gets injured on the football field that runs out there and he's a trainer for our local high school um so we spend a lot of time at sporting events Mm -hmm. um so whether it's my children's sporting events or joining him at work, which is a kind of a unique role for sure. But if it's a basketball game, we get to sit next to him on the bleachers and um, Mm -hmm. super immersed within our community in that capacity. Mm -hmm. I'm a reader. I love to read. Um, And yeah, besides work and family and sports, I'm hoping to beat my husband in fantasy football this week. We shall see (laughs) how that works out. Um, I'm not sure. I am hoping, but a piece of me sometimes is like life would be easier next week if he wins probably. Um, But I'm, I'm a sports lover, a music lover, uh, a busybody for sure. Like to be out and about, um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but mostly just family and just enjoying the people that are around mm-hmm. me. Great. So if somebody somebody listening to this um, says, wow, I love this company. I'd love to investigate working for them. What's the best uh, strategy for them? Which yeah. should they do? Yeah. I mean, you could always go to our website, premier-claims.com, and there is a hiring section on there and submit your resume. But the easiest way to get to the decision maker would be to jump on my LinkedIn, Melissa Harrington. Um, I like to make sure that there isn't a message that goes unanswered unless it's a sales pitch, but then I really don't have time for that. Um, (laughs) You're going to have to... Yes, I I can empathize with that. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. I get them all day long. (laughs) (laughs) It gets to be a lot. Um, but reach out to me on LinkedIn and have that conversation. And there's been plenty of times that I've, uh, assisted in some way and sometimes small ways or big ways to help people find their best fit. Even if it's not Mm -hmm. premier claims, we're not for everyone. Uh, the company is not for everyone. The job duties Mm -hmm. aren't for everyone and that's okay. But we are working all across the United States and uh, very proud of the network that I have Mm -hmm. built Mm -hmm. with other leaders. And so like, let's have the conversation. If you're looking for Mm -hmm. a fully remote position in a tech field, I I know a handful of CFOs Mm -hmm. um, or other CCB executives who I'm sure everybody is struggling for talent right now um, that would be happy to have a conversation. I'd love to make that introduction. So sure. I mean, jump on our website or reach out to me on LinkedIn directly. I'd love that. Okay. Well, Melissa Harrington, CFO and VP of operations for Premier Claims. This has really been a great conversation. I knew it would be, and I really appreciate you spending time with me today. Awesome. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Carol. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. 
I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.